0: Thank you Scrapple fans, and welcome to the latest episode of Match of the Week, the ongoing series within the Let Me Tell You Something podcasting universe, in which myself, your Let Me Tell You Something co-host, Lorcan Mullen, and your other Let Me Tell You Something co-host, Simon Cross, take it in turns to pick a match from the wide world and history of pro wrestling and chat about it for what we find interesting, what we find uninteresting, and hope that you find it interesting and not uninteresting. For this episode, Simon... We're doing a tie-in with a film that's just been released in the US at time of recording and is coming out in the UK in a few weeks' time.
1: What are we talking about and who are the participants? So we are talking about a match that ties in with obviously the hot upcoming thing, the Iron Claw. So naturally, we're talking about the Von Eriks. And we're talking about them taking on the Fabulous Freebirds in a World Six-Man Tag Championship match taking place in world class championship wrestling august 1983 at the sportatorium in dallas
0: texas yes before there was an ecw arena before there was an asylum before there was a dailies place before there was a performance center there was the sportatorium in dallas and there were the von erichs now, obvious starting point is that we are talking about this because of the Iron Claw that's coming out, and it is the film I've most anticipated seeing for at least the past year or so of anything any superhero film, any blockbuster film, any art house film i've always said it's the story if there was ever going to be a story involving in wrestling that i could see getting a big prestige drama it was the story of the von eric's and we'll plunge into more of that with the actual movie discussion in the next episode of silver screen visions whenever that happens it'll be sometime around mid-february fingers crossed extenuating circumstances but let's look down at the original source material before we see the film (laughs) and to see where they get it right where they get it wrong and when people think of world-class, and they think of Dallas, Texas, and they think of this territory, and they think of the Von Erichs more than anything else, they think of their rivalry with the fabulous Freebirds. And this is fairly early into the storyline. One of the other things I would say was, I think we'll be in a very reflective place for this whole year of 2024. Because I think, as we consider modern wrestling, for a lot of people... Wrestling started as a cultural phenomenon when Hulk Hogan hit the leg drop and pinned the Iron Sheik in January of 1984 and won the WWF Championship. Yeah, thus kickstarting Hulkamania in the WWF. And it's really almost like a BCAD situation, and everything before that feels of a different place, of a different planet. You can also argue, maybe you can go a few weeks ahead of that and say that it actually started when Ric Flair pinned. Harley Race at Starcade 83 for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. The starting point is up in the air for a lot of different reasons for different people. Different egos. For different egos. But I think you can also argue that maybe the wrestling world as we understand it, and as we know it in the modern context, if you say BCAD, maybe that moment is when Terry Gordy slammed the steel cage door on the head of Kerry Von Erich costing him the NWA world title against Ric Flair and kickstarting the Von Erichs versus the Freebirds feud. Basically, there was clearly a groundswell, and there were certain visionaries, because as we were talking about it with the Ric Flair-Ted DiBiase match, that was in Mid-South. Mm-hmm. The world in which it was Mid-South that actually became the primary opposition to the WWF is a very different world. And the world in which the Von Erichs have been able to keep themselves as a tight-knit group and continue on with the vision and the forward-thinking presentation of World Class, that there's another world where maybe it was World Class that was going to be the other main alternative to WWF, because in so many ways, World Class was ahead of the WWF. They brought in entrance music before anyone else, and in this match, we see the Freebirds coming out to Georgia on my mind, and we see the Von Eriks coming out to Tom Sawyer by Rush. <laughs> the Von Eriks having some a, a pop cultural appeal that pro wrestling, I don't think it ever really had before, where the Von Eriks were, like, pop stars. If WWF was when rock and wrestling was happening, if you were taking into account the Freebirds were basically a rock band as a wrestling team, they are as much Leonard Skynyrd as they were the Valiants oh, yes. in their inspiration.
1: I've seen Michael P.S. Hastings Bad Street Live. I'm one Look, of an elite group. I don't know if you call it elite.
0: <laughs> You're one of a group.
1: I call it vamping for time while Snoop Dogg deals with the red eye, is what I call it.
0: (laughs) What kind of red eye are we talking about when it comes to Snoop Dogg? (laughs) Also, they were very cutting edge in their presentation. The filming was very exciting. The cameras would get right up in there, and apparently it was because the local texas tv station took a more active role in the presentation of the product and it looks hot i mean if you see what a lot of wwf was still looking like in 1982 1983 not just because bob Backlund was champion but the the way that they filmed it and presented it wasn't cutting edge yet they say one of the key moments in vincent man being able to push wwf that step further was when he worked with Dick Ebersol with the Saturday night's main event and getting the notion of production values. And you can see like a marked improvement from Hulk Hogan winning the belt at 1984 to how the WWF's presenting their live shows with him dropping the belt four years later on the main event to Andre the Giant, the lighting, the quality of the cameras, the presentation, how the audience is looking, the colors and everything else, the graphics, all of that. Again, WCCW was ahead of that international rights. WCCW was huge in Israel at this point because they'd sold the international rights and they were doing tours of Israel. There weren't a lot of promotions doing international tours at that point, except for like Antonio Inoki sending some New Japan wrestlers off on peacekeeping missions to war-torn areas. I don't think that was. So, from
1: cho- I don't think they had a lot of choice in that. <laughs> but
0: yeah, again, five years before WWF was starting to tour around Europe world class were taking their guys over to israel i would
1: never have picked israel as the country you'd have said there
0: well it was so well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't know where else to go with that yeah. let's move on to something less controversial
1: the confederate flag <laughs> 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 yeah first note i've got actually is that, <laughs> in fairness well i had to wait for the commentator because i'm like because obviously they'd have used it because people are still using it now and they're the heels so weirdly that made less sense but then they go oh it's the georgia state flag and i went oh and they're in texas oh that's a double whammy
0: (laughs) yeah with them saying
1: they were announced as a color
0: guard for the confederate army Mm. confederate generals and it's like whoa and then i love though and obviously in the south they have these traditions of the hatfields and the mccoys The Wild West and the gunfights at the OK Corral and the Earps and the Alamo, Billy the Kid and all of these legendary figures. So really, the Freebirds and the Von Eriks are almost following on in those footsteps. And the Freebirds are the rebels and the good sheriffs are the Von Eriks, I suppose. But what is amazing is like when you think of how we have to sort of clarify things in a historical context or try to say, hey, I'm not those guys or whatever. They had that in 1983, but it's Kevin Von Erich getting on the mic and saying, I have nothing against the people of Georgia. My family died under that flag. And it's like, oh my God. That is a 1983 Texas version of, saying, of trying yeah. to, you know, be politically correct. We have nothing against people dressing up as Confederates.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we fought. What for? States' rights. States rights to do what? Shut up! (laughs) Just ask Nikki Haley. She'll have an
0: answer for it. (sighs) But what's also the funny thing is the final line that he says against the Freebird saying, this isn't Texas against Georgia. This is decency against filth. 15 years later, Dustin Runnels, Kurt Angle, the right to censor saying that in a wrestling arena would be met with booths out of the building.
1: (laughs) Love right to censor. It was such a good job as squad.
0: What a weird time the 90s were. I still don't think we've come to terms with it yet. No. But when in 10 years' time when we get a, a movie of the 90s wrestling scene. Wow. Well. Which we could have written by now, Simon, but we haven't done so.
1: No, we got distracted. Life <laughs> and all that.
0: But yeah, one of the points I was saying as well is that what was so exciting about World Class as well is the presentation of the Von Eriks being this young team because in wrestling for so so long it's like you apply your trade you earn your way into the main event scene and so it's mostly people like harley race rick flair wins the title but he's in his 30s when he does so you know you Lutheses is all of those figures they were it was always older gentlemen in the main event scene because they'd done what it was to get themselves to that position thanks to i guess nepo nepo babies the von erics they didn't have to do that so much and just to give you an idea, I looked into the date of births, the ages of these wrestlers from oldest to youngest. Buddy Roberts is the grizzled veteran of this match at 36 years old, Kevin Bonner at 26 years old. Then it's David at 25 years old, Michael Hayes is 24. Kerry Von Eric is twenty-three and Terry Gordy is twenty-two.
1: YOUT It's like Wolfie from the in-between, Terry Gordy. <laughs> Bloody hellfire.
0: Well they all did. Michael Hayes never never looked in his twenties for the entirety of his twenties. No, but look how massive Gordy is who's fed (laughs) in? well he started wrestling at the age of 16 and I think he basically was that size by then do you know what he reminds me of actually
1: I'm amazed an NFL scout was like a high school football scout did not press gang him I think he was just too
0: anxious to earn a living. So he just got into it. And they've said that very few wrestlers have been as naturally gifted as Terry Gordy was. Mm-hmm. And that he was just put in the main events straight away. So to give some more context as to what were the origins of the Von Erichs against the Freebirds. They started off as friends. The Freebirds came into the promotion as baby faces, with this obviously being the plan all along. And the World Six Man Tag Team Championship is a newly created championship that, whilst it has the NWA name to it, it's essentially a. Texas territory belts it's like there were so many different tag team champions through the nwa at various points What we know is the nwa world tag team championship? I think is the one that has the lineage of the mid-atlantic the crockett promotions Nwa world uh, tag team titles. I don't know for certain don't hold me to that But I think that's the case And so, the six-man titles were newly created, and on the big events where Kerry Von Erich was going to get Ric Flair in a steel cage, that was what WCCW were building to at that time, these big
1: events. And just to interject, is it it getting him in a steel cage because they'd previously had matches where he'd, like, wiggled out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was no escape. There was the whole...
0: Did Ric Flair put a bounty on Kerry Von Erich as well? He never said he did, but he also said, if I did do it, I'd be entirely in my rights to do so. <laughs> There's...
1: The OJ Simpson defense. Yeah.
0: Well, no, then... that's how I would have done it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, There's an amazing face-to-face, well, not face-to-face, sorry, where they're both in different rooms talking to each other over... The, the mics between fritz von Erich and rick flair that you need to look up if you haven't watched it already which is just amazing i wouldn't be surprised if they recreate that in the in the film so the big thing is all set up and on the night of the six-man tag title championship decider buddy roberts is injured and so david von Erich volunteers to wrestle in buddy's place they win the titles And David immediately forfeits his share of the titles to Buddy Roberts because they're their friends. And so he's done a great favor for Michael Hayes. One of the other stipulations in this steel cage match was that Michael Hayes was going to referee the match between Kerry Von Erich and Ric Flair. And at one point, he does something underhanded to Ric Flair or something happens where Ric Flair is out and Kerry, if he pinned him, would win. And Michael Hayes encourages him to do so. That's to Michael Hayes. I'm returning the favor to you. You did something for me, I did something to you. But Kerry's like, I don't want to win the title that way. And Michael Hayes is affronted. So later on in the match, when Kerry goes to crawl out of the ring, Terry Gordy slams the steel cage door in his head. Ric Flair wins the match, and Dallas goes apeshit. <laughs> and a feud that goes on for years and years after that between the Von Erics and the Freebirds kicks off. And at the next big event in the June of 1983, the Von Erichs win the six-man tag titles from the Freebirds. And this is the rematch taking place at the Sportatorium. Right. And that's where we are when we go into this match. So their first big match against each other, which Von Erichs came out triumphant, happened. This
1: is the rematch for the belts. Okay, I'll with you now. It's a very frantic pace match. Yes which matches the energy that a feud at this point would have. Now I've got all the context, so it makes a lot of sense. Overall, my first my feelings were I, I actually did really enjoy it because when we talk six-man tags, within the oeuvre of let me tell you something, obviously the gold standard is what, really hooked me on all japan when we did our five-star project namely the catch-up element of our five-star project even though some days we feel like we're still catching up on ourselves because of how trigger happy uh, dave's become but that's by the by and with those it what it, it got frantic at points but in a different way it was very much one man in the ring at all times big move making a difference but in this in in this match between the Freebirds and the von erics there's a lot of double teams, a lot of liberal use of, like, the five count, shall we say, to get out of the ring. And I, I really liked it, because one of the things I, I love about tag team wrestling is double team moves. And for a long time, they'd they had gone away, or at least the wrestling I was watching, they'd gone away. And to see them in their pomp here was a really nice thing to see.
0: Yeah, and I think the great thing about, especially when you get into the six-mans, the eight-mans, the ten-man tags is that it's a lot easier to keep up that pace because with frequent tags, no one's getting winded. You can keep that pace going and the dynamics are always changing in the ring. So the fans are always getting something new. It's so funny when you watch wrestling live and, and because I don't do it that often, it's not something I experience that much. But watching wrestling in a single take is a different experience. And you're having to keep yourself fresh because whenever there's a cut in wrestling, just like whenever there's a cut in a movie, your brain is automatically doing a little bit of work to just reset themselves. Yeah, it does reset you. Now, it goes too far the other end of the way with the modern-day Kevin Dunn editing and everything like that. <laughs> but if you can keep it keep it up and and the refreshing of it and it's interesting how they structure it within the match because it feels like when you watch so many matches in the 80s there does always seem to be more of a sense of let's call it in the ring we know what we're doing but we've not planned it all meticulously out ahead of time and they're calling moves in the ring going off of the feel of the crowd or just what they're feeling in that moment yeah and so at times it can lead to it feeling maybe a little bit less thought out. I think it's interesting when you look at how Bret Hart seemed to be someone that really thought out his matches. Again, I know I'm going to Bret Hart, but if you read his autobiography, he does plan these things out like movies almost.
1: If you can get, find that amongst the bits where he's just frequently shagging.
0: Yeah, well, you've got to do something to occupy yourself whilst, you know. But you get where I'm coming from. There's not a lot of a sense, I feel like, They know what they're going to do at the start. They know what they're going to do at the end. And they know the fundamentals of what works with that crowd. They probably have worked forms of this tag team match around the loop in the past but they also working within the TV confines. And maybe that's also one of the other reasons why it's fast and everything, is that they're working on a TV show. It's not one of the live events where they can go longer. They have to fit it all within a one-hour show where there's all loads of other segments in, in the show as well. Because this does feel like not a key moment in the stages of their storyline. But there's no... One match other than that, that I could find there was a good decent length that was Kerry, Kevin, and David against Hayes, Gordy, and Roberts. And that was what you want to talk about when you're watching these matches, really. Yep. And like uh, there were other ones at the Sports Torium, but one of them was like Kevin, Fritz, and Mike in a match against them. And the film's made it clear that it is kind of those core three Mike, let's not talk about Chris. Let's not literally... uh, Literally, literally. it seems, because
1: I think a lot of that got (laughs) ditched, didn't it? Well, the whole person got ditched. (laughs) Sorry, I'm on about... I've got my uh, Von Eric's mixed up, as you can do when there's so bloody many of them. I was thinking MJF's character, a lot of his stuff got cut. Well, he wasn't a Von Eric, but that was the point. But anyway, getting back to... Sorry, I just want to... Because you've triggered a memory in me about something we've just talked about earlier, about innovation. And I'm going to use this to segue into the match. Obviously, people doing stuff before their time, world-class championship wrestling, and their production values, as Lorcan has already alluded to. But I think, as a man who grew up in the Attitude Era, seeing Buddy Roberts pulling a prime Kurt Angle with the wrestling helmet and the wig, that's where he got that idea from.
0: (laughs) Well, I don't know even if it was coming from Buddy Roberts. I think it's just there's certain things that just work, and you just... Cycle back through them every seven years, I think, per... Yeah, but per who's day. a
1: road agent around that time? Who's around the company? Michael Hayes. Yeah, but I
0: don't know that they invented this. There's been for years and I years. See you, there's
1: always been... You know, around this time, there was
0: Bob Orton's cast on his arm in the WWF. Yeah. There was... And then down the line in the future, you have D'Lo Brown's chest protector. And as you said, you had Kurt Angle with the wig. You have Vince McMahon with the hats. do
1: Do-rag Vince.
0: Do-rag Vince. It's a common thing. I mean, I imagine it's all the time in Mexico as well because they love their hair matches. Yeah. But that's a context that will come on later on. And it's funny seeing the, the, the roles of each of the Freebirds. Because the Von Erics is just kind of, they're all strong badasses that are really good at wrestling. Kerry's probably the most physically, athletically gifted. David's the biggest, and he's the guy that you put up against Buddy Roberts as an equivalence. And Kevin is the equivalent of the high flyer, I suppose, with the drop kicks and everything. But it's not as well-defined between them. They all kind of had similar presentations, as I say, and just they had different strengths. Kerry looked the best. David talked the best. Kevin was maybe the most all-round or the most mentally-centered, as we'll find out over time. Mm. Whatever it was. With the Freebirds, it's very clear. Michael Hayes is the mouth. Buddy Roberts is the fall guy. Gordy's the muscle. Yeah. Because Gordy is the one that the Bonerics do bump for and sell for the most. As the two of them. Whenever Buddy Roberts comes in, it's kind of like the Fushi roll out of Jumbo's Army. He's got to be sneaky and underhanded because even if they've been dominating Kerry or David or Kevin in the corner, when Buddy Roberts tags in, usually that Von Eric is out of trouble pretty yeah. quickly. There's not a prolonged heat segment in this match. <laughs> There's like, the Just Von get... Ericks are as much, or maybe more in control, even in the middle portion than
1: the, the Freebirds yeah. are. Just getting up to your feet and, like, oh no, they're going to freshen up. Oh, it's Robert. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's that
0: horrible thing, you know, he's like, he's the kid that gets picked last in football. I'm not talking from experience. Yeah. Or the guy that when he comes to the bat, be it cricket or baseball, the fielders are told, come in closer, lads. This one isn't going to go far. And it's also funny comparing it to the trailer because it seems like this match is definitely an inspiration point for the match that we're seeing between the Von Erics and the Freebirds. In the trailer. I don't even know if Michael Hayes, Terry Gordy and Buddy Roberts will even have lines or if they'll just be the three people that the Von Erics have put together in the match that we see in the film but unless you're the wrestling fan that appreciates the extra effort that they've gone to in casting those that's not what the focus, the focus of the film I'm assuming is going to be the Von Erics home, the Von Erics dealing with Fritz behind the scenes and the wrestling will be, I would be surprised if there's more than like 10 minutes of wrestling action in the whole film but it's funny that this does seem to be like the, the frame, like the, the colors of the trunks and everything that the Von Eriks are wearing when they come out for this match seem to be pretty close to what they're wearing in, in the movie scene. Yeah. What's interesting, though, looking at the trailer, and again, we'll get more of a sense of it with the movie, is that they're doing those synchronized triple team moves. They're whipping them in, and they're all hitting them with elbows at the same time, and they're all hitting them with clotheslines, and they're doing the bites one against one and really as i said more of the nature of just call it in the ring and not synchronizing everything they're just like ah, just let's just fight all over the place yeah and just as long as carrie's there where buddy roberts needs to hit him with his loaded helmet then that's pretty much all you need to know really and then just sell for gordy don't sell for buddy and michael just strut up and down the apron when you're not in the ring
1: no it was a simple formula but it's one that bloody worked
0: there's a reason Michael Hayes has been the closest thing to a Pat Patterson for Vince in the WWE since Pat Patterson left. The idea of being the most mm. senior wrestler guy that was still part of the writing rooms and everything and the production meetings. It always seemed like he, he's, you know, he was, he's been a constant employee for the WWE since 1995 and never as a wrestler. And the crazy thing was, he was probably only, like, 36 at that point.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember if it was Edge of Christian or it must have been the Hardys. They were like, oh, you guys should wear, like, the fishnet tops things. Like, oh, because that's what the cool kids wear. And Hayes was the manager at the time. So he came out in a yeah. fishnet top like, "How oh, hot do we look? And they were all like, ah!
0: <laughs> yeah, he wasn't their manager for a long time. Yeah. But... It was Well, he thought, apparently, he thought they were going to be called the Freebirds, and he had them all, like, with the tie-dye and everything, and they were like, nah, we tried this with the Midnight Express, it's, uh, and they're right, you know, it is time to find your own niche. Cause
1: and and they did do said, fake like... uh, Diesel and Razor Ramon at this point as well, yeah, they'd been yeah. burnt.
0: yeah. Uh, but it's almost and the new blackjacks and all that stuff and it, they are right. You you should be trying to tread your own path as best as possible. And that's right because like Darby Allen, is parts of Sting and there's parts of other presentations, but he's himself. Yeah,
1: and he was that before Sting got attached to him.
0: Yeah, and similarly, Michael Hayes, as I said, the Freebirds. There's clearly a little bit of the Valiant Brothers in them, but it's their take on it of what because they knew what was hit at the time because. Well, maybe not by 1983, but by wrestling terms, to be up to date on that, at least up to that point, it's kind of impressive for wrestling. Yeah. Another thing I was watching with the trailers and I was kind of like, it's doing the thing that is a cliche within presentations of wrestling from people who don't necessarily watch wrestling is they seem to think the crowds were always at a fever pitch all the time. And if they were doing that for three hours, it just wouldn't work. And I was a bit worried about it. But then when you watch this match, you see, oh, they they genuinely are just going ape shit. <laughs> and that squeal, that that scream, like we're at a pop concert, that this is like, you know, it's like George Michael or Wham have come into town, but it's not. It's the Von Eriks.
1: So I messaged Logan between me watching the match and this recording. Of, like, a Simpsons line, which is just seared into my head. B-Sharp's episode. Oh, those girls you pay to scream are really doing a good job. I didn't pay any girls to scream. What?
0: I <laughs> mean, yeah, they're like, the Von Ericks are 80s hot. But I get where they're cut. especially, <laughs> they all had their strengths. You know, if you, if you were to just go by facial features in isolation, you wouldn't. But there's a reason Kerry Von Erich was... At this point, like in (laughs) 1983-84, Kerry Von Erich was on as many magazine covers for wrestling as Hulk Mm. Hogan was. If Hulk Hogan had not come to the WWF, I don't doubt for a second that Vince would have probably seen Kerry Von Erich as probably his number two preference to who he would build a promotion around. The problem with Kerry was he could never talk. Watching a Kerry Von Erich interview is fucking painful. Yeah. I've seen like a compilation of like wrestlers talking about the Von in shoot interviews and the common phrase they always said about Kerry was he looked like a Greek god. And he genuinely did. His physique is more impressive than Hulk Hogan's physique in so many ways. Hulk had bulk. Kerry had definition. Yeah. Oh, and then some. And hair. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. But he didn't have a brain and he didn't have the promo ability. And he enjoyed too many substances. <laughs> far, far. But you can understand why he was the one that did end up getting an NWA World Title yeah. run as briefly. Just as look it at was. It. Just look at him. <laughs> yeah. And again, I think he's either still the youngest. NWA world champion ever or the second youngest? Because I don't know what with TNA and everything else and, and that era of wrestling. Mm-hmm. But he was only twenty four when he had that run with the title oh, as, younger. as it was. Was that younger but, than yeah. Lesnar when Lesnar won his first Yeah, start. Lesnar was twenty six. Autumn was Autumn was twenty four. But I think Yokozuna was like twenty five, but they never really acknowledged that aspect <laughs> I get, of him.
1: I, I hate using it a lot, especially in the post Luke Littler world, but Defo you from the in-betweeners vibes for Yokozuna.
0: American listeners, just watch the in-betweeners to understand what we're talking about.
1: Watch the British in-betweeners. Not what you did over there. Shame. Shame on you.
0: Just some people. Uh, Michael Hayes in this match. <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine how exciting it must have been to go into the sportsatorium at, at that time and watch those wrestlers. And be there with it. And because the Von Erichs also projected that toughness. And they had David Von Erich who was a rough tough talking Texan as well. And they had their sporting backgrounds. And how important that is in Texas as well. And Fritz Von Erich was this big old rough man. And so he's like I'm going to give you this belt. The same belt I raised my boys with. And I'm going to beat you up with it. And it's like fucking hell. Yeah, there was <laughs> some who said there are two kind of Fritz in the movie, so that'll be interesting to go Ooh. and look at as well. Yeah, not a lot more to say about the match itself. It's just constant movement, tags in and out, intensity and the hatreds there, and it's reflected in the crowd as well. But Terry Gordy just is so amazing how he can move for a man his size, and how he carries that menace for the team, and everyone plays their roles to perfection. The Von Eric's just they were so naturally athletically gifted that they could be guided through these things, I suppose. And and then we get to the finish, and it's just a classic old school heel finish. Although it does make Kevin look like an idiot. So David gets knocked to the outside by Michael Hayes. Whilst Buddy Roberts has been knocked to the outside a few moments earlier. Kerry's fighting. Michael Hayes gets him up in a bear hug. Kevin Von Eric has Terry Gordy tied up in the ropes. Buddy Roberts runs back into the ring, clearly having put something into the boxing helmet that he's been wearing as his wig protector for his recently shaved head, having lost a hair versus him. And um, just headbutts Kerry unsuspectingly in the back of the head. Michael Hayes is just out on top of him. Gets the one, two, three. Kevin thinks it's their side this one, turns around. Oh, I'm a dipshit. <laughs> uh, oh, no. This is the biggest disappointment I'll ever have in my... Oh. <laughs> the other thing I just want to point... Oh, th- there is one triple spot. There is a moment where they do a triple
1: drop kick. There is, and it's beefy as hell, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and again, it's like nowadays they have to do 5,000 sky twister press, but at the time, just three blokes hitting the drop
1: kick at the same time.
0: Mine's blown. <laughs>
1: Oh! And look, it just goes to show, no one got dropped on their head, no one did X or Y, that what they would cultivated in that time at that moment meant they didn't have to work that hard athletically in this match to get an absolutely electric response.
0: Well, again, it's the beauty of six-man tags. You you can work super hard because you're only carrying one-sixth of the weight of the match. Mm. And so a lot of not very good good wrestlers can be in great matches if there's six or eight or ten of you there you know i'm i know i'm not saying he's not a good wrestler but i doubt that eric rowan could have a one-on-one match that can match what the wyatts and the shield did yeah, and I guarantee you that they were watching some of these matches. They were watching some All Japan six man tags, and they were watching some Von Erichs Freebird six man tags as well. When they were thinking, "How are we going to do the Shield and the Wyatt?" Yeah, and I think it's that good thing of like when it is like a, a collective team, and it's like family versus like a, a our own personal family that that can make those six man tags mean way more than even if you put a trio's title in it. Because it is almost like it is out of place and it's like bragging rights in a true sense of the word. It's like you and your mates against someone else's mates. And it's who comes out on top in that way. So that, you know, they didn't need to have a trios title for the Shield and the Wyatts to have people going apeshit for it. And whilst there is a six-man tag involved in this, it's almost ancillary to it. I don't know that it helps that much more. But it's just, it's a prop
1: that's useful mm. for these situations.
0: And they obviously couldn't be asked to make three belts because they're just
1: carrying around a big trophy all the time. <laughs> well, what's cheaper? Mm. <laughs> and what are wrestlers more likely to, like, not forget or, like, run off with?
0: One thing I always make notes of, lazy referees. They're not quite to the world of sport level of not even leaving their feet and just going, when. Gee, but just the one knee down and slapping the mat. I'm sorry, that's not good enough, mate. You got to, you got to be down there looking at the shoulders. Charles
1: Robinson set the standard.
0: Oh yeah, he was setting the pace for that guy who broke the world marathon record.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and and look, Hebner was like a god in terms of like getting down and make. He looked like a referee. He did refereeing properly.
0: Well. Depends how proper referees
1: are supposed to be in certain situations. But... Sorry, uh, Bret Hart will probably disagree with me on that count. Yeah, yeah.
0: But I don't think this is like the definitive match. But if you just want a simple, if Iron Claw movie either gets you curious beforehand or afterwards to see how accurate it is. And like I said, I think it's probably a bit more slapdash, a bit more wild, a bit less organized as how you expect six-man tags matches to be now, where it's all, you know, more taking the Mexican trios format of in and out, dives, fast triple team spots and everything. This is just, it's the Hatfields and the McCoys. That is what it is it is the gunfight at the OK corral in wrestling form and it's a hell of a time and that it holds up in ways that a lot of older stuff doesn't necessarily like as great as it was to watch funk saruta as a a historical document and it's all a technical perfection a modern day wrestling fan might not have as much fun with that as they do with this because as i say you can argue
1: this is where modern
0: wrestling is being born
1: Mm. wrestling as we know it the ending especially has the chaotic attitude era as the copyright notices put up <laughs> energy to it
0: but without cm punk's music starting or Tommaso champa attacking the that was a that's that's become a 2010s 2020s cliche yeah yeah but anyway is there anything else you wanted to add to this simon did you enjoy watching the match? again it's like a, just no point breaking it those sort of things it's not important what is important is it conveys just why the Von Eric and the Freebirds is still to this day, if you were to argue, like 10 hottest feuds in wrestling. If you go Austin McMahon, Hogan, and Andre, Okada, Tanahashi, I think the Von Erics and the Freebirds is a top 10 contender still.
1: Yeah, yeah and like, probably always will be. Logan's absolutely right. Like sometimes you just watch things because they're in the conversation. Like when the OJ Simpson drama came out, a lot of people probably would have watched the ESPN documentary if it was available at the time. Or if they'd seen the ESPN documentary at any point, they probably would have watched the drama. I don't know why I've crowbarred OJ Simpson We've into this. we talk talked about OJ Simpson a lot in this episode. <laughs> well, no, do, do you know what it is? It's it's stories of... It's stories of, like, people who... were well, gods in some people's eyes yeah. who had a tragic ending. So I yeah, guess yeah. on a subconscious level... A that's... rise and fall of grandest of
0: states. Yes. But yeah, it is, it is so funny, like... When Vince was going around buying all the territories when he tried to get Dallas, Fritz said, I'll go into partnership with you. So he obviously had a vision of a certain way of doing things. And if the Von Eriks hadn't been cursed is one way of putting it. Hadn't been themselves is another way of putting it.
1: If they had have got the right help from... Other, from... Yeah. You know what I mean.
0: Yeah. You can't look past the tragedy and you can't not think about it when you're watching this. Mm. But... The great thing about this match and other stuff on YouTube that is available, is you can see, it wasn't smoke and mirrors. There was something to these Von Eriks. Well, you
1: could have built off of them
0: quite easily. Well, they could have plugged into any of those companies Vince going at the time. wanted the Von Erichs so badly. They were featured in the WF magazine. He would talk about them on this thing called All American Wrestling, which was his first kind of national syndicated wrestling show. And he was asking all the territories to send in their tapes of their top stars So that as he was saying, oh, I'm helping everyone out because I'm getting everyone's name out there on a national field. What he was doing was getting the wrestlers that they wanted. He was getting those Roddy Piper tapes and those Greg Valentine tapes and those other tapes of Junkyard Dog or Ted DiBiase or whatever. And then who's he signing up to the WWF and bringing in? Oh, it is Roddy Piper. It is Greg Valentine and so on and so forth, and the Von Erichs he featured prominently. He was desperate to get them, and the Freebirds had a brief run with the wrf in 1984, but they came back to World Class backwards and forwards, and the storylines they at times were faces again with the free with the Von Erichs, and they were heels, and it's crazy to see where World Class went along the way until the point where. When they were doing shows at the Sports Torium, it was through a merger, eventually, with the Jarretts and Jerry Lawler's Memphis Territory, and it became the WCWA. And the shows at the Torium were still starring Kerry Von Erich and Kevin Von Erich, but also Jeff Jarrett, Jerry Lawler, Steve Austin, Chris Adams, and all these other stars that were also created through world class. But maybe it's fate and it's an inevitability. But again, if there's all those alternative universes, the ones where David didn't die in a hotel room in Japan... And maybe set off those series of events. And and one of the Von Erics had been able to keep a stable head and get to be the touring NWA World Champion, which Fritz was clearly championing. All of the, the the legend goes that David was literally about to become the new NWA World Champion until his untimely death, and they gave it to Kerry as a gift for the David Von Erich Memorial. And he does lose it back to Flair like three weeks later in Japan, which is available on YouTube. Although you don't see the actual decisive fall, it's weirdly cut up and clipped. Hmm. But there's loads of other stuff. Like this, there's a Von Erichs deep dive that you can go into on YouTube and everything. And the famous Jerry Lawler Von Erich match that was supposed to end with a stopped due to blood loss on Kerry. Unfortunately, Kerry with his blade accidentally cut himself before the match started. So Jerry had to assault him to make it look like he'd like scratched himself with the blade in his hand or something. <laughs> They weren't the brightest of sparks. Carrie, in particular, was not the brightest of sparks. Oh, dear. Again, I don't know how they'll portray that in the Iron Claw. It's like, I do love Jeremy Allen White as an actor. And I can see why they cast him, because he's so hot right now. And like Kerry Von Eric, he's not got the most conventionally attractive face. <coughs> but I get... Kerry, Jeremy Allen White's that level of, like... You know, there are just some people, men in particular in Hollywood, where it's like he's not conventionally handsome, but I get why women fancy him. Zac Efron, you don't have any problem seeing it at all. I mean, that's textbook
1: handsomeness, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Well, unfortunately, he's got an even more square jaw than he meant to have, but that's another time in another place. But, you know, you Jeremy Allen White, you Adam Drivers, those kind of guys, go- you David Schwimmers, not the most conventionally handsome people in the world, but I get it. Mm. I love someone described Adam Driver once as Keanu Reeves drawn by someone left-handed. <laughs> I mean,
1: I've 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 heard that comparison before, probably from me. I don't disagree with it. Yeah. But he's so big, he's so tall, he's so yeah. handsome.
0: That was someone saying like Marriage Story is like Scarlett Johansson realizing after 10 years of marriage she only liked Adam Driver because he was tall. <laughs> <laughs> but uh anyway, from two not conventionally attractive guys, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately not endowed with the uh, Adam Driver, Jeremy Allen White charisma, or whatever else it is.
1: I mean, and yet you guys still listened. So who's the real well, mugs here?
0: Listen, listen is the key word here. There's a reason we haven't switched to video podcasting. <laughs> everyone else has. But anyway, Simon, if you want to get in touch with you. With any more von Eric recommendations or unusual descriptions of unconventional leading men, how can they do so?
1: They can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm signing on the Simon Cross free, free for the number of competitors on each team in this match.
0: My name's Lorcan Mullen, that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L, A for the A at the end of Georgia, N for the N at the end of Vaughn. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, letterbox. if you put an gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at LntySpod at gmail.com, lmtyspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. For the next match of the week, Simon, it's your pick, buddy boy, and what have you picked? It's another match filled with wildness and chaos and maybe not the strongest of psychology. But- yep it's in it, it another great mythological building of pro wrestling
1: yes now it's in the ecw arena it's an ecw match friendly enough of course i know <laughs> oh, in 1995 the public enemy took on sabu and taz in a sabu d- sabu. sabu sabu <laughs> sabu sabu Sabu. Sabu
0: it's sexy Sabu Sabu and Sabu.
1: the Tasmania, yeah, Tasmania. I was with Christopher Walken. I went there. That's weird. Ah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Sabu and Taz and the Tasmaniac, to be precise, in a double elimination tables match. I've let uh, I, I've steered into the skid, kids. I've picked a tables match. He can't fuck with me now. <laughs>
0: hoist by his own out, stuck out table leg. But until then, there's nothing left to say at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon
1: Cross. Thank
0: you for letting us tell you something. Have a great week. Until the next week.